our need for peace. Anyone here who don't need peace? We all need peace, right? I was listening to the radio um, this morning on the way here, and Pastor Lyle was interviewing uh, Cynthia Pratt, Mother Pratt, as we know her. Uh, of course, you know, she was Deputy Prime Minister at one time, and Minister of National Security. And she was talking about how she was really into serving the Lord, and, and uh, someone told her she was going to get a promotion, and she thought it was going to be at her job at uh, College of the Bahamas. And uh, lo and behold, the Prime Minister came to her house and asked her to run for Parliament. And uh, she was saying that um, a lot of people thought that she would move out of her inner city home and move out east or out west somewhere uh, because of the crime associated with inner cities. And, uh, and she was telling Pastor Lyle that, you know, she stayed there because she felt that you needed to build up from the inside and not drive in and drive out. But she mentioned one thing is that her house doesn't have burglar bars or security bars. And um, that's one of the things that uh, people look at when they talk about having peace. They need to make sure that they are garrisoned in their homes, almost to becoming like a prison. And uh, we've heard some real horror stories of people who died in their garrison homes because the fire started and the burglar bars prevented them from getting out. But our lesson today focuses on our need for peace. The setting is John had begun his coverage of Jesus last week on earth in what we know as chapter 12. By the time he arrived at John 14, it was well into the evening of Jesus' last night on earth. In the upper room, only hours before his crucifixion, Jesus devoted himself to final instructions and assurances the disciples needed before he departed from them. Question number one on page 45. When have you felt most at peace? When have you felt most at peace? When in your lifetime did you feel that you were most at peace? Anybody? After surrendering your life to God. Okay. For you, it was after surrendering your life to Christ. Anybody else? When was it you felt most at peace? I guess for all of us that would be uh, a common answer, right? Well, uh, I could think of occurrences where there was some type of violence and the police showed up and you felt, okay, everything is going to be fine, all right? Everything is going to be okay. And most of the times we uh, experienced uh, peace to, to some degree, it's at times like that when there is violence all around and those who are supposed to be officers of the peace show up. Bible meets life on page 46. Let's have someone read that, please. Atticus Finch, the small-town Alabama lawyer in Hawkeyes to Kill a Mockingbird, is one of the most beloved characters in American literature. Throughout the novel, Atticus maintains a calm poise in all situations. Whether facing down a rabid dog or dealing with a racially motivated mob, Several times in the narrative, Atticus tells his children, Jem and Scout, it's not time to worry. Atticus is always very open with his children, so they trust that if there ever is a time to worry, he'll tell them. Trouble has a way of finding us. 
and it's easy to let those troubles cause us to worry. It would be nice to have our own version of Atticus Finch, someone to tell us it's not time to worry. The truth is that we don't need a fictitious character like Atticus. We have Jesus, who offers us something far greater. He doesn't just offer words in an attempt to comfort us, he offers himself. Jesus does what no Atticus Finch could ever do. He gives us true peace, even in the midst of trouble. Okay, Jesus gives us true peace in the midst of trouble, and it doesn't matter what kind of trouble you're going through. The point of the whole lesson on page 46, at the top of the page, Jesus is the only way to the Father, therefore we can live in peace. Jesus is the only one. Jesus said that himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Okay, let's look at the, uh, what the Bible has to say. Uh, beginning with the first verse of John chapter 14 on page 47. Your heart must not be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. We notice uh, even in Jesus' time, people had a problem worrying because of peaceful circumstances and situations in their lives. And for the disciples, it was the Roman Empire. They were always fearful of what might happen because of the commitment that they had made to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have a definition for trouble there, also on that page. It says, can refer to an outward shaking or stirring up or inward turmoil, unsettling circumstances, or being thrown into confusion. See that? That's a pretty good definition of being troubled uh, or being fearful. Your heart must not be troubled. Let's look at the paragraphs on page 48. Can I have someone read that, please? Your heart must not be troubled. It was just hours before his arrest, trial, and crucifixion. Yet Jesus was not focused on himself. Rather, he sought to comfort and encourage his disciples. These men had already experienced difficulty because of their commitment to him. Jesus knew it was going to get worse, much worse. Persecution was coming. Martyrdom would soon be a reality. Go on. Becoming a Christian has never been an escape hatch from trouble. Our faith often incites conflict and believers experience many of the same difficulties in life as unbelievers. Sickness, accidents, natural disasters, crimes, wars, and much more. We are not exempt from the results of sin's curse on our world. Believers must also go through the trial of physical death, even after enduring declining health, loss of mental faculties, and loneliness leading to depression. For all these reasons, Jesus knew finding and maintaining peace would be difficult. His encouragement, 
your heart must not be troubled, advocates a practical reality, not a theoretical possibility. Maybe you're wondering, how exactly am I supposed to avoid being overcome by trouble? Jesus revealed the source of peace in the midst of trouble. Believe in God, believe also in me. The word believe in this context also could be translated trust. The key is trusting God and Jesus to sustain you through whatever challenges come your way. Notice that Jesus didn't say simply to trust the power of God or the presence of Jesus. Instead, this is a trust based on a relationship with God that is personal and intimate. We trust in persons, not merely in concepts or doctrines. That is a distinctive element of the Christian faith. Several years ago, after being diagnosed with cancer, I had two surgeries in five days. The night after the second surgery was very difficult. During the night, I became desperate for help. My prayer was, God, just get me through to the morning. All my education and experiences were useless. I had no strength of my own. That night, I was just, it was just me trusting God, and He was enough. When you face real trouble, trust God and discover the sustaining grace He provides. Okay, now notice the fourth and fifth paragraphs there in that, in that uh, passage. Maybe you're wondering, how exactly am I supposed to avoid being overcome by trouble? Jesus revealed the source of peace in the midst of trouble. Believe in God, believe also in me. And again, we see the word believe is, in this context, also could be translated trust. The key is trusting God to sustain God and Jesus to sustain you through whatever challenges come your way. And that's the kind of trust that all of us is supposed to have as believers. Question number two on page 48. How do you determine if someone is trustworthy? How do you determine if someone is trustworthy or can be trusted? Hmm? Keep their word. Keep their word? Okay. Well, you'd have to find out before uh, if they were able to keep their word before, right? So you'd ask around, you know, if you want to find someone, uh, ask someone who knows this person, is he, can he be trusted? Is he trustworthy? Tell me something about him. Okay. And that's how we would know, right? When do you find it difficult to trust God? It's another question. When do you find it difficult to trust God? Well, you should trust him always. You should trust him always, but when do you find it most difficult to trust him? I'm sure all of us have been there, right? Yes. Exactly. A lot of times, we always have doubts. When Jesus tells us that in his word to do something, and we know it's going to bring persecution or, or some kind of trouble in our lives, we, 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 we have difficulty trusting him. Nevertheless, we are called to do so. And so for a lot of us, most of the times we find it difficult to trust God in the circumstances 
that he allows us. And remember now, he allows us to get into those circumstances so that we can demonstrate how much we trust him and he can prove himself to us what kind of a God he is. And so we need to be mindful that uh, when we go through those times, God is still the sovereign God. He's still in control. It's not that things got out of hand and he, just, he missed that one. He didn't catch it. And so as a result, we are doubting him. Okay. Uh, we also note in John's Gospel, belief is not merely rational thought, such as agreeing with an idea. Belief is action. We pick up on John's distinctive framing of belief as action by noting that John never used the static noun belief in his gospel. John only used the active verb to believe. Thus belief or faith for John was something someone does rather than what someone simply thinks. It's trusting, it's relating. The disciples were learning that belief in Jesus means trusting Jesus to secure their relationship in God. Even though they would betray Jesus, he was willing for them to trust that he would guarantee the future of their relationship. And so salvation depends on Jesus' ability to secure the relationship, not the sinner's inability to avoid betrayal. Salvation is not jeopardized by sin. Trust in Jesus keeps our heart from being troubled. And that's exactly what Jesus was saying to the disciples. Let not your hearts be troubled. Don't allow your hearts to be troubled. Sin is one of the things uh, that can cause that to happen. Trust in Jesus keeps us from being troubled. Okay, we have an activity on page 49. It says personal assessment, peace. Did anybody do that? Okay, we have one person who did it. Okay, uh, are you, says, are you peaceful? Are you a peaceful person? Use the following evaluation as a starting point to find out. To what degree do you feel at peace in these areas of your life? In your finances? It says, it ranges from not at peace to totally at peace. Okay, now you don't have to answer this publicly. You can answer this privately because this is between you and the Lord, right? In your work, not at peace or totally at peace? In your spiritual life, not at peace or totally in peace? And you could be anywhere in between these, right? You could be in the middle. And you saw little, you see those little dots there, right? You could be at any one of those points. So you could be closer to not at peace or you could be closer to totally at peace. It's totally based on your experience in these circumstances in your life. But it's something to consider. In your past decisions, not at peace or totally at peace. In your future prospects, not at peace or totally at peace. And so that's a good exercise to engage in, to determine where you are in terms of how much at peace you are in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ in this world where there's so many things going on to take away and rob us of our peace. Okay, let's look at the other passage of Scripture. Someone read uh, 
verses 2 to 4 of John on page 47, please. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If not, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I am going. Okay. We have a, also have a definition there of dwelling place. Uh, to give us a good idea of what it means to have a dwelling place. We know what that means. We have our own dwelling places, and that's our personal space. When we go in that space, we don't expect to be invaded uh, by anyone else. But it's happening, right? It's happening in our day and time. Uh, people are being, people's personal dwelling places are being invaded, and it's a place where we expect uh, to settle and to be at peace with no intrusions at all. But what we have today is called home invasions. And many times people's personal spaces are being invaded. And for the believer, our personal spaces are being invaded by the enemy who wants to disrupt our lives in many, many ways. And so the devil carries out his own home invasion in our lives at times. Question number three on page 50. What do you find most comforting in these verses and why? What do you find most comforting in these verses and why? Anybody? That amidst, amidst uh, troubles and trials uh, throughout our life here on earth, we can always find peace in Christ mm -hmm. uh, because he, he is the Prince of Peace. Okay. All right. Throughout our, but uh, Askim said, throughout our lives, and we can find peace because of our relationship with Jesus, because He's the Prince of Peace. Anybody else? Yes, I, I love that He says definitively, um, He will come back and He will take me to be with Him, mm -hmm. and that's great security. Amen. Absolute security, and He can be trusted. Isn't it fantastic? Okay, how many times people have made promises and they didn't keep them? I mean, you were really counting on them. Okay, you would take him at their word, lock, stock, and barrel, and then they, they failed you. And you were utterly disappointed. Jesus says, I am going to prepare a place for you, and I'm coming back to get you to take you there. And you can take that to the bank. Because he can be trusted. Anyone else? Okay, let me ask you another question based on this. How would you state the promises in this in, in verses one to two in your own words? How would you state the promises in these verses in your own words? You read it? You put it in your own words, go ahead. Trust God and he'll be with you always. Trust God and he'll be with you always, okay? That's a good one. Anyone else? In your own words. Receive your reward. Okay, let's move on to the, the uh, paragraphs on page 50 then. Uh, let's have someone read that, please. 
The whole thing, beginning at, at uh, the yeah. residence in his father's house. Okay. He also said his father's house contains many dwelling places, but don't fixate on the senior mansion as if some glorified version of a brick and mortar castle is what will make heaven special. God is preparing a place for us to dwell with him to be in his presence for all eternity. The grandeur of heaven is the presence of God. Jesus understood this priority when he said, I will come back and receive to myself. Jesus promised to retrieve his followers, accompany them beyond death and bring them into his presence as their eternal reward. No safety home, no matter how nice, could possibly be better than dwelling in presence of Christ. Notice that Jesus foreshadowed his impending departure. He warned his disciples, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. But in the next breath, he assured them, I will come back and receive you to myself. These short sentences summarize his upcoming death, resurrection, ascension, and return. Events that are essential in making heaven a reality for us. Also, don't miss the importance of the words, I will come back. Jesus was likely referring to his second coming, but it is not unreasonable to think Jesus may have been speaking of coming for every believer at the moment of death. Again, timing is not the main issue. The focus of the promises, promises on the person who accompanies the believers to death not the place where they are going at the time when they arrive there. Jesus himself will come for his followers. You know the way and to where I'm going. Clearly by now, Jesus felt his followers should know the way to heaven, as we shall see. However, they still didn't understand. Okay, so Jesus knew that they, they knew that where he was going and the last paragraph says clearly by now Jesus felt his followers should know the way to heaven I mean they'd been with him long enough to be able to understand that however they still did not understand okay the other passage is 5 to 7 you know the way where I'm going Lord Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Question number four. What does this I am statement teach us about Jesus' nature and character? It's another I am statement. Remember, we have a number of these I am statements throughout. What does this one teach us about Jesus' nature and character? And by the way, this question is repeated in all the sessions. You notice that, right? Yeah. Okay, it's included, and that's on purpose. All right, because it wants to keep before us the nature of Jesus' I am statements of his character. So what does what this one tell us? Tell us that he is 
he's savior. He's not speaking about someone else. He is the only savior. There's no one else. Okay. He's the only one. There's no one else. Power over life and death, okay. Oh, Jesus immediately borrowed the scope of participation directly to himself. He, he narrowed the scope just to, to himself. Okay, no one else. As Brother Cliff said, there's no one else. He's the only one. And so what Jesus does here is he, he immediately narrows the scope of participation directly to himself. He added, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, those who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ have an exception with believers saying that, don't they? You know, who do y'all think y'all is that y'all know y'all are the only ones and only you have the way? Well, Jesus said so. Okay? And if he said so, that settles it, right? Jesus could not have been more restrictive in making this statement. And uh, as we said, many people have problems with it in our world. The path involves knowing and following Jesus personally. Not you going along with the crowd, or everybody's going that way, so it looks like it seems to be the right way to go, so I'm going that way. It involves following Jesus personally. This exclusivity eliminates any other claim to salvation that anybody else can come up with. Totally eliminates it. With this personalized exclusivity, Jesus also rejected any effort to reduce Christianity to spiritual principles or multiple paths to God. And of course, we hear people say today, oh, there's got to be more than one way. Jesus says, I'm the only way. Only one way and only one truth exists for anyone's life. And that is Jesus Christ himself. No other way. And so we must be careful not to grant exceptions where Jesus allowed none, which is what people do today. And that's why we have so many religions popping up all over the world. Okay? People try to allow ex exceptions where there is none. While the Bible teaches us that God desires none to perish, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, he also records that Jesus himself said, No one comes to the Father except through me. It's only through Jesus we can come to the Father and know the peace that he intends for us to experience. So we'll continue to have to deal with those individuals who call us all kinds of names because of the exclusivity of this statement that Jesus made and because of the fact that we continually repeat it. Paragraphs on page 51. Confused about Jesus' earlier statement, Thomas responded honestly. We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus' Jesus's answer included no hint of rebuke. Instead, he offered one of his most powerful and concise statements. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus didn't say he was the source or teacher of the way. He said, I am the way. Our faith is personal. Is generated by a person and access to a relationship with a person. Similarly, while Jesus taught truth and gave life, he claimed to be more than a source for those things. Jesus is truth and life. Jesus claimed to be in the way, the truth, and the life 
may be the clearest example in scripture about the exclusivity of the gospel. We find absolutely no biblical foundation for universalism. The misguided belief that all faiths are equal and all roads lead to heaven. Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Today, an ever-growing number of people are uncomfortable with the implications of this claim. It might seem the solution is to appease critics by softening Jesus' words, not only about salvation, but also about sexuality, morality, ethics, and integrity. Rather than trying to soften those words, let's take them seriously. Let them motivate our witness, deepen our spiritual resolve, and increase our efforts to get the gospel to more people. That's the best response to Jesus' definitive words and the only way to true peace. And so again, we see all kinds of things going on today for trying to uh, change or, or twist what Jesus says about being the only way. Question number five on page 51. Why is lasting peace found only in Jesus? Hmm? He's the only one who can give it. Do you know anybody else who can give you everlasting peace? No one. I mean, there are people who make promises. And many times they are embarrassed because those promises are not fulfilled. What are the implications of Jesus' words for our culture today? What are the implications of Jesus' words for our culture today? Anybody? That's an alternative question. Hmm? You must be born again. You must be born again, okay. Many, many people out there are thinking that they're all right, that they found the answers, but they're apart from Jesus Christ. So there are many people who are um, earnestly wrong, mm. and they don't know it. So it really does propel us to share the gospel. That's right. And you'll find that the closer we get to the return of Christ, it's going to get worse. There are going to be more people attacking believers because of this very statement that Jesus made. I am the only way, the truth, and the life. And uh, that's where the persecution on believers is going to increase. Okay, um, back to the point of the whole lesson before we get to living it out. Jesus is the only way to the Father, therefore we can have peace. Now let's look at uh, page 52 and see how we can wrap all this up and apply all of this to our own personal experience in the weeks ahead of us. Jesus is our only source of true peace during difficulty. Consider the following options for helping others experience this hope. One, praise God. It says, spend an hour thinking thanking Jesus for the place he has prepared for you in heaven. Praise God for blessing you with the peace of an eternal home in Christ. And that's pretty much straightforward, right? We should do that every day. Okay, always praising God. 
And then the second one is memorize the word. Work each day to commit John 14.6 to memory. Encourage friends and family members to join you in memorizing this important verse. Of course, I believe everybody knows this one by memory, right? Okay, and then number three. This is a tough one. Be bold. Invite a person of a different faith to coffee or lunch. Ask them to explain what their religion teaches about the concepts like the way to heaven, truth, and eternal life. In turn, tell them what Jesus taught and what you believe about these issues. Well, that's a tough one, right? Not many people want to do that. But the point is being bold. Okay, I'm sure we know people who don't know Christ as Savior, and they have a different faith and all that stuff. Uh, so there's an opportunity to be a witness for Jesus uh, in that regard. Okay, as we wrap it up, notice the last statement here. There are times when all of us worry in this world. Even Atticus Fitch felt the pressure of those moments. But you have the amazing gift of choosing to focus on Christ in even the worst moments. And in doing so, you will find the gift of peace. Amen? Amen. Amen.